continue in our sermon series, uh, Strangers in the World, Instructions for Strangers, through the book of First Peter. And if you have a Bible and you want to join along and follow along with us, today we will be in First Peter chapter 4, 7 through 11. And it says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Up to this point, Peter has given a lot of instructions to his readers. But right here, we have, we have an intention grabber. We have a hinging point. We have something that is setting this apart. We have eight words that are supposed to grab your attention. Right in the first part, it says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, he wants to grab your attention as a reader. He wants to refocus your attention to what he's about to say. And that's our first point on the handout. Christians, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's time to feel an urgency. It's time to listen to these instructions. Peter's using a megaphone in his writing saying the end of all things is near. Therefore, therefore, he's going to give us instructions. He wants us to respond with urgency and have our attention for what he's about to say. Now, I think a fair question to ask is, is there urgency at all? I mean, it's been 2,000 years since, since this letter has been written. and It doesn't seem that urgent on the surface level. But I want to show you that the end times are near. And I want to show you specifically that, that Peter doesn't necessarily think that he knows when the end time is. He doesn't know the hour or the time. But rather, he is saying that we are in the last days. We are in the period of time. It's often referred as the already but not yet. Peter understands that his Savior has come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ has come. He has suffered, died, and buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven. And Peter knows that he is waiting for the return of Jesus and that we are living in that period, the already but not yet. We're waiting for his return. And Peter's not going to back down from this. And the reason I know that is because of his sermon in Acts. So during Pentecost, they received the Holy Spirit, and Peter quotes the prophet Joel, and he says, and, and Peter, interestingly enough, adds, divinely adds, a few words to, to Joel's prophecy. It says, Acts 2, uh, 17, it says, and it will be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Peter opens his sermon with uh, Joel's prophecy, but he adds, it will be in the last days. Peter divinely adds that. He understands that we are in the already, but not yet. He doesn't know 
when. He doesn't know the hour or the day, but he understands the period of time. He understands that the Messiah has come. He understands that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament scriptures. And he has conquered death. And he is, he is he's taken away all the sins. And he's offered salvation to those who believe and receive him. And we await for his, him to come back. And Peter understands that period of time. He doesn't, he's not saying that he knows when. And 1 Peter was written years after this sermon account in Acts. And we see in 1 Peter, he hasn't backed down from this train of thought at all. He's still saying the end of all things is near. He's still saying we're in the last days. Don't be surprised. Have a sense of urgency. Be alert. We are in the last days. If he if, if we would think that Peter had an idea when that last day was in that sermon in Acts, we would see him backing off in how he's speaking to us. But he doesn't. He's doubling down. He's still saying the end of all things is near. You know, the, the question of end times and, and trying to figure it out is, is not new, right? It appeals to our human nature. We want to figure things out. But this isn't a new idea. Humans are humans. And those, that same human instinct in nature was right along Jesus in the form of his disciples. And the disciples asked this question to Jesus specifically. And Jesus answers, him, answers them with, with a variety of signs that, that the, the end times will have, instructions, encouragement. But he says this, and this is, this is what we need to hang on to. Matthew 24, 36. Now concerning that day, he's speaking of the end times, and our, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. The Son doesn't know. The angels don't know. That means Peter doesn't know. He may understand the period of time that he's in, the already but not yet. But he's not saying that I know when that day is coming. That would be going against what Jesus is teaching. Jesus, the son doesn't even know. To us, this means, and, and if this comes as a shock, I, I, don't, I don't mean to, to blow up your world right now because some of you may watch some of these things, but I need to tell you to not fall into this trap. Do not focus on the end times. No one knows when they're going to happen. That means no YouTube prophecy preacher knows when the end times is going to happen. There is no, there's no Bible decoding system. There's no Da Vinci code. There's no little orphan nanny's decoder wheel that's going to figure out a date and time when it's going to happen. There's no computer program that you can shove the Bible through to spit out some kind of date and have faith in that date because nobody knows. No, no conspiracy theory with the Masons know when it's going to happen. They're not orchestrating it. They're, this one may be hard to believe. But the crazy-haired guy on Ancient Aliens, the television show, 
He doesn't know. Surprise, I, I don't mean to blow that for you, but he doesn't know. He makes great television. And our, our human nature, man, we get drawn into that. But I want to warn you, don't let your efforts and your time to be sucked into figuring those things out. You'll never find out when the end time is coming. It's a trap. It gets you off course. And I don't want you to fall into that because nobody knows when. Not the Son of Man, not the angels, not Peter, not you or me, the Father alone. Let me parallel us back into the verse. And I wanted to hang out there because I, I thought that was that is valid and important to talk about because it's a trap. And I don't want you to fall in that trap. But paralleling us back into our verse, Matthew 24, staying in that same account, verse 42, Jesus speaking of the end times, he says this, therefore, be alert since you don't know when or you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Better be ready. In Jesus's words, let's keep those in our mind as we reread verse seven of 1 Peter chapter four. The end of all things is near. Therefore, listen, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Peter's saying the same exact thing. There's an urgency because of, of the end times. No doubt, recognize that. Be alert to it. Wake up. Don't be fooled. Don't let your guards down. The end times are coming. Don't expect something different. Don't expect that things are going to get so great. They're likely going to get worse based on the signs that Jesus gives. Expect that. Be alert to it and have a sober mind for prayer. The posture of our mind should be one that we are seeking God saying no matter what the circumstances, have a sober mind for prayer. No matter if you're facing opposition, no matter if the end is nearing, be alert to it, but have a sober mind for prayer. It really connects to what Fred preached last week, where he preached Gentiles, don't do the things that the Gentiles are doing because enough time has been wasted on that. What a what a harsh reality. Man, when I was listening to that sermon, Fred preaching that sermon, I thought, wow, hindsight's 2020. How many years of my life I have wasted. Now, wasted in the sense that I wasn't doing God's will. And all through that, he was drawing me to him. But man, I wasted that time apart from God, not doing his will. What a harsh reality. And Peter's saying, don't waste your time doing those things. Don't waste your time. Set yourself apart. And by not wasting your time, you will have a sobered mindness and alertness to your surrounding, your circumstances, and be intentional for prayer. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 21, 34 through 36. Speaking of the end times here again, 
Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing drunkenness and worries of life. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it'll come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. No one is excluded here. But be alert. Here it is. Again, Jesus is saying, but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all things that you're going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. The end is near. Be alert. Jesus says it again. Be alert at all times, praying. The only way that you can be alert at all times is to recognize the urgency that a, that a time in, in the future, Jesus is coming back. Be alert at all times. You better be ready. Do not let your lamp burn out. He's coming. Be ready. You know, what a good picture that verse 35 says. That day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. I, I, I hunted. I was never a trapper. But the only way that a trap works is that if it's hidden and it and an animal walks through it unexpectedly. That animal is not alert. He's not recognizing his circumstances. He's just going about his normal day without thinking about the end time is about to snap on its foot 20 yards ahead. That's what Jesus says the end times is going to be like. That, that picture is, is frightening. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to snap and it's going to grab your leg. Are you ready? Are you alert? Are you praying? Do you have a sober mindedness? That brings us to our next point. Be alert. The end is near. But focus on our instructions. Must focus on our instructions not on the fact that the end is coming. Peter lays out first what Christians should do internally, right? He says, he says we should be alert. Nobody can do that for us. It's our own mind. We have to have a sober-mindedness for prayer. That's us. We need to make the decision not to do the things that the Gentiles do because enough time's been wasted that would cloud our mind. Those are all things that that clear our mind, that are internal to us. But let us continue to see what external actions he's going to lay out for us. Continuing in verse 8, it says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Oh, that's, that's, that's strong. Yeah, above all, Peter, you got to lead with above all. That's setting it so about, as if it's not hard enough to be alert in the end times and to, to not be pulled into temptation and to sin, to stay away from that with a sober mind in prayer. If that's not hard enough, with a sense of urgency, I might add, above all that, maintain constant love for one another. Maintain constant love for one another. Why? Because love has the ability to cover a multitude of sins. And, and we see this through our lives. This isn't 
some big revelation that I have for you today. When, when we're loving to one another, especially when, when wrong has happened to us, when we can still love one another, maintaining constant love for one another, man, families are reconciled. Marriages are brought back together. Friendships are restored. Children are reconciled back to their parents through love. Through love, it covers a multitude of sins. It restores, it heals. It does so much. This, is, this isn't a new idea. It's not even Peter's idea. This is an Old Testament a scripture that Peter's using, but that it doesn't even end there. This is a command that Jesus gives his disciples before his crucifixion. In John 15, 9 through 14, let, let me read that. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Now listen, this is it. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. It's not Peter's instructions. This is Jesus's command to maintain constant love to the end. This maintaining constant love is exactly what Jesus does. Next point on your handout, even in hard circumstances, we are called to constantly love one another. Even though we're in the end times, even, those day, even though that those days are upon us, maintain constant love for one another. And, and look at Jesus Jesus did this exact thing. In John 13, 1, John 13, 1, it says, Jesus knew that his hour had come. So Jesus knew his end is here. He knew that this, his end was coming. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus maintained a constant love for us to the end, to his end, to his crucifixion. It's exactly what we are called to do. Jesus had the greatest love. He laid down his life for you and for me. He says that there is no greater love than that. And the reality is, is if if any of us was in that situation, we would probably fail miserably, but he did not. He perfectly maintained constant love throughout, all the way through his crucifixion, through his death, his resurrection. Maintain love for us in the world. And he did that for you and me. It's amazing. It's great. It's the gospel message. It's why he came, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Let me, if you are listening today and you are not a Christian, 
First Peter, he writes this to Christians, but let me tell you with the same sense of urgency, the end of all things is near. Where is your relationship with God? The good news is, is that Jesus came. He died and suffered a death that you and I deserved. He paid the price for the sins of the world. And he offers you forgiveness and reconciliation back to the Father. You must believe and receive him and make him Lord of your life. Have you done that? There is an urgency, not only for for Christians reading this letter and learning how to live differently than the world, but this is a message for you. This is a message for you as well. Where is your relationship with God? He wants you. He did not come to condemn you. He came to save you. Put your trust in him today. There is, there is, no, there is no time to waste because we do not know when that end time comes. In the same way that Jesus's love covered a multitude of sins by his blood, we see that in our own lives. And Jesus even, another example of him wanting that is, is in Matthew 5, 23 through 24. It says, so if you're offering a gift, Jesus speaking, if you're offering a, your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Now, this, this is Jesus talking about bringing a gift in worship to the altar. But what he wants in your heart is all the same. He wants your heart to be reconciled with whatever trouble is in it. He wants you to maintain constant love even before you worship because that's gonna hinder your worship. It's gonna hinder your offering, your gift. If you're holding on to grudges, if you're holding on to hatred, if you hate your neighbor, he doesn't want that. It's gonna hinder what he would have for your life, whether it be your, your worship and your gift to him, or whether it be your, your walk with Christ. He wants you to maintain love for one another. He wants a loving heart and he wants your heart in worship. Do not let that keep you from doing the work that he has called you to do. And how do we do that work? Let us continue by, by filling in another fill in a blank on the handout, which comes from verse nine. Through serving, love one another without grumbling. Yeah, he had, to add, he had to add that, without grumbling. Verse nine says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Peter uses hospitality as an example for a service that we shouldn't be grumbling in. And he is not setting hospitality out as the only one that we shouldn't grumble in because we need to not grumble in any service that we, we do. We, don't, we should never do that. But I think... He is pulling hospitality out, possibly for a historical reason that we may not understand. 
that was meant for his, for his readers in that time. And let me show you in, in Acts 18, one through two, this is Paul traveling to Corinth as he plants a church. It says, after this, he, he left Athens, Paul, and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So here you have it. You have the roller right before Nero pushing Jews out, persecuting Jews, making them leave. It, it's thought that Christians were standing apart, like, like Peter's telling us to do. Be an alien to this world. You, you don't belong to this world. You should stand out. Well, they were standing out among a Gentile nation that were doing a whole bunch of different things. And Christians weren't taking part in that. And people want to look differently on that. And they did not like that they weren't partaking and they were pushing them out. Now, this was before Nero. Now, after this letter was written, Nero is going to burn the place down and, and point to the Christians. And we know that persecution was about to come, but we, we have an indication that it has started to some degree already. And it, and it left some people homeless. There's no doubt that they're getting pushed out. Where are they going to go? Where, where are they going to go? If, they, if their family would live there, they have no place to go but they have brothers and sisters in Christ that hopefully were opening their homes. And Peter's saying, don't grumble, serve, maintain love for them, serve without grumbling. And I think this is a plausible case. It's not, it's not 100%, but based on this evidence in Acts, it seems like there may be an indication that they're getting persecuted and they are homeless and they, people were opening their homes to it. I think Peter probably used a pretty good, pretty good service to, to demonstrate not grumbling, right? I think like when, if, if we plan a dinner date and like three weeks down the road, month down the road and I'm looking forward to it, I can't wait to get connect with these people and this family, have them over for dinner, have, have a little uh, fun night, games, whatever. And then that night comes and it's like, it never fails that it's like a horrible day at work or, or I'm just tired, headache, migraine, anxious about other stuff, stress, kids are up here. It's just like everything just like falls right on that day. I, I, I'm sure that you can understand that. And you're just like, oh, any day but today, like seriously, any day but today, I don't want to do this today. I don't want to open up my home. So grumbling just has its way of just slipping right in there. Complaining just has that. It's so easy to do. It's just like not even, not even right. It just makes it so easy. I think hospitality is one of those things. And I know like when, when, when people invite my family over, there's no doubt right before we show up, they're like, oh, I have no, I don't have enough food for six kids. I, there's eight of them. What am I going to do any day but today? <laughs> I know you guys do that. <laughs> but it's, I, that's why I think hospitality is a perfect example for grumbling because I think it's easy to do. And I'm only poking, making fun. I, I know nobody does that. Yeah, right. But then moving on, Peter's next point is uh, don't waste your gift by choosing not 
to serve. And, and we're going to move on to, to verses 10 and 11, where that comes from. Don't waste your gift by choosing not to serve. Verse 10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Don't waste your gift by choosing not to serve. Or as Peter would put it, be a good steward of the varied grace of God. Be a good steward. You have a gift. Whether you believe it or you don't, you have a gift because God gifts in a variety of ways. It, it may be, it could be anything. And if you have trouble trying to figure out what that is, let us know. There's, we can point you to tests online. We can help you through that, shepherd you through that. There's so many resources to try to figure out what your capabilities are in terms of service. But he gives a variety of gifts. And it says that these gifts are used to serve others. It doesn't say use these gifts to serve only the body. Use these gifts only Jewish people. Use these gifts for any specific group. Use these gifts to serve others. The body receives a variety of gifts, right? And whatever opportunity, whatever season of life you're in, you must use these gifts to serve others. It, it's not, he's not speaking of intentional servitude in terms of like, oh, I need to be a part of a certain outreach so many times a year to do this, to fulfill uh, something at the church. That's not serve others in everything that you do. Everything, I've heard it said this way, and it's always stuck with me. Maybe it'll stick with you, maybe not. Just forget it. Everything that you do, in the back of your mind, you should say, in Jesus' name. It's like, if you're, if you're flipping hamburgers, in Jesus' name. If you're handing, handing that hamburger out to somebody in the drive-thru line, in Jesus' name. A smile on your face, pleasurable, without complaining. Anything you do all through the day, your whole life, is a living sacrifice to God. That's your spiritual worship. Your whole life, everything that you do, whether it's raising your children, that's the season of, of life that we're in right now. Like our kids are young. We don't get much time. These are transformable years in their lives. We want to pour into them. Jocelyn pours into them all day when I'm at work. That is her her, her gift, my, it is a gift. <laughs> Believe me, it's a gift. The homeschool six kids, uh, eight years and under, it's a gift. Believe me, it's grace. Anything that you do, no matter what your sphere of influence is, that is what God has called you to do, to serve others because of the variety of gifts that he has given you. He goes on and says, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. It doesn't matter what. It could be talking. Use words that are going to glorify God. 
anything that you do, serve through the power of God. Let me tell you, the minute, serving is a choice. You can sit on the sidelines. That's why the point is don't waste your gift choosing not to serve. It is a choice. Don't waste those gifts. But with that choice comes a reality. You must realize that when you choose to serve, you must serve under the strength that God has provided. If you choose to serve on your will and your strength only, it, it, it will turn disastrous. You can ask probably any missionary. They'll probably have stories. You can probably ask any pastor or somebody in ministry for any length of time, and they will tell you about burnout. There's no doubt that, that people have felt this not even in like a vocational role, just serving at their church. They feel burned out because we're relying on God or we're relying on our own strength and not God's strength for that service. And when we do that, there is, there is nothing but disaster. And it may take years to play out, but we need to realize and to understand and to pray for strength and know that he has the power to empower us through his spirit to do the will that he has called us to do because of the variety of gifts that he has given us, because of the love that we want to have for each other, because of the urgency of the end times. It's all playing. It's all coming together as we, as we read this. It all is coming together. Don't fall into the trap of serving based on your strength alone. Because all that does, even though people may be helped, all that does is point to you. It says, yeah, man, I'm awesome. Look at what I've built. Look at all these people I'm helping. I am so great. Because why it says, let it be from the strength of God so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. The focus is not you and your ability. The focus is that God would be glorified through Jesus Christ. When you serve like that, people notice a difference. You're a stranger in the world. People see you. I love it because when people see you as different, a lot of times they will point fingers and laugh. But I tell you what, they take notice. They understand something is different about you and they want to know why. The same inkling that we have in our human nature to be like, well, when is the end times? I want to know the date. That same drive in us wants to know why such and such person is the way that they are. And when that, when that question happens in somebody's mind, man, you tell them about Jesus and, and just the, it just starts snowballing down, starts snowballing down. It's like the perfect opportunity to share Christ with somebody because they see a difference in your life because you yourself are a new creation. It's awesome. It's awesome. And Peter closes this section 
feeling that same awesomeness. I'm getting excited even preaching it. But Peter closes it in the same way that he starts it with, with a big exclamation point or an attention grabber. He says, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Those words aren't found after anything else but this section, which tells you he's grabbing your attention right in the beginning. The end of all things is near. Oh, what? I'm going to wake up for this. He's going to tell me something good. And then at the end, after he tells you all that, he's giving it a big stamp of approval. He's, he's amening himself, which is awesome. He's writing a letter and amening himself based on the things that he has just laid out for us. Maintain constant love for one another because of the urgency that we have. Have a sober mind. Don't do things that the Gentiles are doing. You've already wasted enough time when you were dead in your trespasses before, before Christ came into your life. Don't waste time on that. Serve one another without complaining because of God's grace that he's given to you through that gift. Serve through the strength God has given you. And let God be glorified through Jesus Christ because you're a new creation and you look different. Amen. Amen. He's amening himself. Let that sink in. That is it. That's what we are called to do. So let, as we go throughout this week, let that just rattle around in your mind. Is there some way that that I can, well, first, do I feel a sense of urgency? Do I really believe that Jesus could show up anytime? Would he, if he came and tapped me on the shoulder, now he's gonna come on the cloud and everybody's gonna know, but if <laughs> he slipped in the room and tapped you on the shoulder and you turned around, you're like, oh, Jesus, hey, would he be happy with what you're doing with your gifts that he has given you? Would he be like, oh, man, you're doing exactly what I want you to do. Good job. Good and faithful servant. Good job. Or would he be like, oh, still doing this? Still doing the same thing the Gentiles are doing. Come on. I gave you this gift. Get out there. Get in the game. Get in the game. So let us evaluate what we're doing with our lives. Are we living them for Christ? Are we using our gifts to serve others in whatever sphere of influence that we have right now? Are we using those gifts? Are we everything that we do? Can we say in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name? I know that's a little, it's, yeah, whatever, but it, it's like, it kind of makes sense. Like if we're, in Jesus' name. If we're doing everything for Jesus, can you say that about everything that you do in the back of your mind? Don't say it every time you do something. <laughs> I open a door for somebody at Walmart. Hey, in Jesus' name. Hey, hey, I'm gonna pick it. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. <laughs> Don't do that. You're just gonna creep everybody out. But in the back of your mind, that should be your attitude. That should be your heart. So let us, let us just self-evaluate this week. All right, let us pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this opportunity to dive in it and, and to bring a message to, to, the, to the people of Redemption Church and to the people listening 
online. I, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Lord, help us feel that sense of urgency. Help us realize that, that you are going to come like a thief in the night. Let us be diligent to work. Let us not waste our gifts that you have so graciously given us. And let us lean not on our own strength, but the strength you have provided so that we can maintain constant love through serving one another, even in difficult times, difficult seasons. Help us do that. Help convict us where we need convicted and help us to just constantly maintain love like Jesus did for us all the way to his end. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's continue in worship through one more song before we close today. <laughs> 